note, everybody listening, welcome to TNT ESQ. I'm Teresa Quinlan. I'm here with my co-host, Reese Thomas. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We make up the TNT and we're here to explode the status quo. This series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently so we can start doing differently. So our guest today is David McGlennon. And first up, you all need to know he's a Steelers fan. And so am I. And Reese is a Patriots fan. So Reese is outnumbered today. That's we're right. Gonna, yeah, we're going to use as many Steelers references as is humanly possible. It's okay. You guys won a game this week. So we're... <laughs> 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 oh my God, so exciting. David comes to us. He's a high-performance culture coach. And David is a triathlete. And, you know, you must be connected to your why to dedicate yourself to a vision, a goal, an outcome, and translating this into connecting people with the why of a company is really what David helps people to do. So their profits increase, their employee engagement goes through the roof, and you've got the all-important competitive advantage. So we are so excited to have you on the show today, David. Thank you for being with us to explode the status quo. Oh, thank you, Teresa and Risa. It's been a, uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation and I'm, I'm really uh, excited to be here. Oh, goody, goody. So here we go. Let's listen. The obsession with culture that you have stems from individual performance or peak performance and the human element that is at that core, being able to be the best version of yourself. So can you tell us the story about how this came to be the thing that you've really dedicated yourself towards? Yeah, absolutely. For a long time, I was a part of an industry, the insurance industry, uh, the health insurance and employee benefits industry. And the last part of my career before starting my company, I was in the wellness space, the wellness component of that, of that industry. And I kept seeing CFOs who were trying to watch the, the the cost of their their healthcare benefits and they talked about the culture and having a culture of wellness and well-being and and all of these great buzzwords but they were always looking at just the numbers at first i thought well okay that makes sense but then as i began to evolve in my own thinking i really found that they were missing something as i continued to learn and and grow in my own my own leadership and my own learning I found that there was really a component of the human element that I felt like most leaders, especially on the finance side, were missing. And that really got me thinking about how could I impact companies in a bigger way and, and how could I help them to be able to impact not only just their healthcare costs, but also perhaps even increase top line revenues as well so that the entire company could, could be impacted. Uh, that really got me uh, into thinking about culture and how culture impacts the performance of, of the, the business and also the people within the business. So that's kind of the, the shortish version of it. Sure. The human element at the core of being able to be successful across the board. So when you're in the room with a bunch of the decision makers, what do you end up talking about? It's a great question. The first thing I talk about is intentionality because when you take a look at great companies, world-class companies, they're very intentional about how they're leading and driving their culture. They are, are very systematic about it. And good companies don't just get to great 
by managing the status quo. They, they explode the status quo, right? And, and so by being intentional with their, with their culture and actually having a, a process, that's what gets a company to be world-class because, I mean, if you think about, I always use the example of the Ritz-Carlton. Ritz if anybody has ever stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, you know that their service level is impeccable. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's impeccable is because they have a system where every shift start, every property, everywhere in the world starts with a daily basic. They call them their 20 daily basics. And so if today we were on daily basics number 13, every property all over the world for Ritz-Carlton would be talking about daily basic number 13. There's something to that. And so that systematic approach is what I usually talk about with senior leaders. How are you systematically leading your culture? Most of them don't even think about a systematic approach. So that's usually the first thing I start talking about. So I want to talk about culture because obviously coming from a recruitment background, I've, I've sat down with many C-suite people talking to them and they're trying to sell me uh, what's good about their company. And, you know, in the last five or 10 years, everyone starts with culture and they reel off, you know, four or five buzzwords. They tell me about these things. They might even show me around the company and they'll, there'll be some of these words emblazoned on the walls. I found out that Often these, these, these words are put on the walls not to, um, to inspire people, but it's for senior management, so they don't forget. <laughs> it's quite often if you ask them about their values and their culture, they, can't, they can maybe name some of them, but they can't always fill you with any belief that they're actually living this culture. So the question is about culture. How often do you find there really is the culture that they're professing to, it's true, if it's authentic? Yeah, so if I could rephrase your question, how, how often do the, the, the words on the wall match what's happening in the office, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah what you're seeing or not what you're hearing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. When I come across a, a company like that, I love to highlight that and I love to be able to, to share it. Just recently, I uh, created a quick video with a, a gentleman who I met with a company called Service Express. A uh, guy's name is Doug Pecora. And um, he too is a Steelers fan, so um, just so that just to bring that in, I, I just thought I'd share that a little Go bit. Steelers. Go Steelers! <laughs> and uh, anyway, but but I, I love to to highlight that. So to answer your question, though, Reese, in all seriousness, it doesn't happen a lot. The reason it doesn't happen a lot is because most companies don't have a mechanism to practice the behavior. It's in practicing the behavior that we, we get good at anything. You know, if you think about any sports, in order to get good at it, we have to, we have to practice. And sure. practicing, quite frankly, sometimes sucks. And so yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the monotony. It's the time when, you know, you go to the gym and, and you're, you're doing the things that nobody else is seeing, but it makes a big difference when, when you walk out of there, how you feel. And, and, and so the same thing is true in our companies. We have to find some way to practice the behaviors to take the, the words on the wall off and put them on our, our, our behavior and put them into the workplace. So um, that's usually the part that I think most companies, where they fall down. What comes to mind for me is to paraphrase what you've already said for us is discipline behind an impeccable intention. And mm. so we have behaviors that we know we must do every single day. And we have a clarity. It's a non-negotiable around yeah. our intention. Yeah. 
-hmm. And if every single person in the organization has that type of clarity, but also is hired because they have discipline as a core of their human nature, then people can be a part of that culture. But if we're hiring people that are not disciplined by nature, it's very difficult to teach people that characteristic. You know, when we talk about coming into a company and you're helping these people to get an impeccable intention and get behaviors under those, do you also have to then start stemming into, okay, how are you hiring people? Because you have to have people that you're hiring that can do this kind of stuff. We can teach them so much, but we can't teach them sometimes personality traits. Yeah, absolutely. That's the third step in the framework that I use. So the, the, the first two steps are basically defining the culture in terms of the behaviors that we want. Then the second step is to create some kind of a ritual or cadence to be able to practice those behaviors. And then the third step is to, to select based on those behaviors. You have to be able to find ways to select people based on those behaviors. But we can't just have a, a behavioral-based interview if we haven't defined the behaviors that we want. If one of those behaviors is to, to be di disciplined or to, to have a disciplined approach to your work. Whatever that, that behavior statement is, we can use that to create the selection process. But yes, absolutely. We have to be able to select for the right fit. And what's interesting too is we, we want people to fit within the culture but we don't, want, we don't want vanilla. We don't want everybody to be the same. We got to have diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of, of personalities, but yet the same intangible approach to, to business. Mm -hmm. So I was reading something today that I think is interesting. So um, the basic premise of what they were talking about is it's a book called Leadership Lab. I recommend it to everyone who, who hasn't seen it. It's, they're talking about something called situational fluency. That for me, equates to culture. So if your culture is fixed at this point, but you need to grow as a business, that means your culture needs to also adapt and grow to and be fluid. So if you're hiring people who are based on something that you predetermined years ago or whatever it was, how do you then utilize that to make that change in your hiring process to create the situational fluency idea? First of all, I've not heard of that. So it's, it's great. I, I, I'm going to add that book to my list. I, I, I love it. If a company is creating behaviors that I believe will stand the test of time, you could still have situational fluency, but still be able to practice those behaviors. For example, I think that practicing blameless problem solving is, is timeless. No matter what situation we're in, if we're practicing blameless problem solving, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to get the situation fixed, like fix the problem, get it taken care of. Second thing, we're going to do like, you know, post-mortem, we're going to, we're going to check out and say, okay, well, what went wrong? Where did our process, you know, fall down? And do we need to change our process? And if so, then, okay, let's change the process so that doesn't happen again. Those kinds of behaviors are, are behaviors that can stand the test of time. And no matter what situation you're in, we can always do those behaviors. And another one that comes to my mind is speak straight. Mm -hmm. Speaking straight is really about moving a situation forward and creating a, a resolution, creating a forward momentum. It's not about just like dumping on somebody. To answer your question, Reese, I think that if a company is careful to 
think into the behaviors that they're defining, I think they can define behaviors that are timeless. I agree with you because I think then what that would afford a company to do is when they need to go through a change, whether they're going through a structural change, organizational change, some sort of massive change, we've got these behaviors that are set in stone that can carry us through whatever, whenever, however. And perhaps what we need to do through change is we adjust our rituals. Right, sure. So we've got our practices that are what we put in play or a new practice, a new daily ritual that we put in play to help us on the execution side of things, as opposed to having to rewrite our culture or rewrite the non-negotiables. But more often what I see is that because people don't have the behavioral definition or the framework of this is acceptable, this is not acceptable as far as behavior goes, when they don't have that, then what we end up seeing is bad behavior in an organization that goes dismissed, it's excused, it's actually rampant, nobody seems to care about it. And so then you have no rituals, you've got no fluency, you cannot move through change. People are stuck, people are leaving. Yeah. For lack of a better term, it's really bad. Yeah. And I think that, I think that what happens is there's a lack of leadership that, that, that you don't have a strong leader who's saying, hey, this is the way we're going. This is what I expect. This is what we as a leadership team expect. And when there's that lack of leadership, there's a, there's a vacuum. And, and so I'll often say, you know, your culture is what you either define and create or what you tolerate. What's the biggest barrier you come face to face with when you're talking with executives and CEOs? Cause I'm interested in, I'm really interested in knowing number one, what that big barrier is. And number two, how you call people out on it. I think the biggest barrier right now is a mindset. It's a mindset that this culture work or this culture thing is just soft skills. They're just, fuzzy things. It's, it's okay. Well, let's just go put a, you know, let's go put a vending machine in. <laughs> I think that's probably the biggest thing. It's a, it's a mindset thing because nobody teaches this in business school. I mean, you, you know, you go to get an MBA and you're, you're not going to be taught, you know, how do you, you know, culture one-on-one. It just is not taught. I think that's the biggest barrier. The second barrier is one of the CEOs that I've, I work with, I still work with today asked me, how do you measure like the ROI on, on culture work. And, and I, I, I looked at him and I said, I'm not sure you, you can directly. There's too many factors. However, I can point you to some studies in a book called Conscious Capitalism. Those studies distinctly show the top line and bottom line results, the stock price increases of companies who are very systematic, who are very intentional about their culture. So it's, 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 that, it's getting past the mindset of, hey, this culture thing is, is fluffy stuff. No, it's serious business. And, you know, a great example. I mean, I, I think I, I look to Barry Waymiller, you know, look at Bob Chapman, who, you know, came from the, the, the finance side of the business and has really embraced and, and advocates the human element and being able to, he wrote a book just recently called Everybody Matters. And, and it's really tying the two together, the financial element of a business and the human element together. And when you do that, when you capture the hearts of your people, you're going to also capture more bottom line profits. You're going to capture more business because 
more other companies are going to want to do business with you. Yeah, it's like the book um, I read, it's called It's Always Personal. And I believe the company referenced a lot of Southwest Airlines and the mm. CEO of that company knew everybody by name and knew their family and spent time doing these, this disciplined action of putting the human element first, knowing that when you do that, you get peak performance out of every individual. And it is discipline for a CEO to remember to talk to people and remember things about them. I mean, I led a small team of people at one point and, and 14 is relatively small. And I did whatever it took to remember to send them a birthday card at the right time, to remember to send them an anniversary card at the right time. And I didn't care if it required me to put it in my calendar. It was important for me to do it. So I did the necessary rituals to sort of deliver on the promise of what I said the culture was going to be of what they could expect from me as a leader. So, I mean, I agree with you. These aren't soft skills. It's the reason why it takes time for people to master them. I always hate that word soft skills because it's such a, it's, it's almost like a demeaning word, but it's funny because the leaders that come to me, come to me uh, talking about and asking for coaching on those things, those quote unquote soft skills that seem to be so hard. <laughs> I think there's been a massive shift in the leadership idea, you know, previously, or should I say now leadership is so much more visible now because everything has changed. Everything they do, everything they say, the way they interact with people is all more visible. They have to totally change everything that they've been doing to utilize those those skills. I'm not going to call them soft skills because they're not, um, but they do reap benefits. I mean, if you want to care about people, you actually have to care about people. You know, Teresa often says, you know, hurt people, hurt people, but it's just the same. Yeah. If you want to care about people, you have to care about them. You, you mentioned sending birthday cards. That sounds great, but, you know, I challenge you to go a little bit further than that and actually, you know, go and talk to them and go and have an interaction with them, have a communication with them. Often when we talk to people, more often than not, the problem is communication and a lack of it. You know, that's something that we can all do. It's not hard. It's not a skill. It's something that we all do without even thinking. We're doing it right now. It's an innate skill. You learned it when you were a child. You're right. It comes down to leadership and comes down to uh, modeling the behaviors that you expect your team to help you be successful. The second part of my question, because I'm not going to let it slide a little, really Reese described very nicely. So you, when you go into organizations, do you observe? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. I, I usually will we'll talk to people, observe and get a sense of, yeah, what's real, what really is going on. Okay. So, you know, when someone calls it soft skills and then says, you know, well, we don't want to do it because it's really difficult to measure ROI. These are all really good excuses for not right. wanting to lean into the human side of business. Right. It's difficult and uncomfortable and awkward for people sometimes. So do you give them a soft nudge or do you give them a hard <laughs> nudge? <laughs> That's, well, if, if you know me, I'm not usually a hard nudge kind of a guy. <laughs> yeah. So it's usually, a, yeah, it's usually a soft nudge. However, what I like to do is I, I call it putting a pebble in their shoe. And, and usually what I'll do is in the moment, I generally will have a question come into my mind and I'll just ask that question. And it's usually the right question at the right time. And I've found that I get a lot more accomplished um, with questions in, in terms of changing someone's mind or getting somebody to think about something differently. You know, one question that always comes to my mind is, well, how did you come to that conclusion? 
And, and I love that question because it makes somebody actually think about how did they come to their conclusion? How did they come to understand or think that we can't justify the ROI? What's the return on investment of investing in your people? I mean, you're paying them a salary. If they're not engaged, you know, there's statistics out there that, that talks about, you know, the, the cost of lack of engagement. Mm -hmm. So I like to ask questions. So that's usually my, my mode of operation is I'll ask questions. And a lot of times I may not necessarily provide an answer because I want them to think about it. it I've had a lot of times where people come back and say, you know, Hey, I've been thinking about what you asked. I want to, I want to talk further about that. So um, I like that approach. That's just, that's my approach. So I'm going to bet that there are a lot of employees at businesses walking around with pebbles in their shoe. They're feeling the pain <laughs> of their organization, right? Yeah. They've yeah. asked themselves these questions. They've decided to stay within the organization for whatever reason. People stay for a whole bunch of reasons. Some of them great right. reasons too. Like, but I believe in the culture and I want to be part of it being better. I just don't know how because I'm an individual contributor in your wild expertise. We want to help people through this show start to do things differently. So yeah. first maybe let's talk about how can employees start to make a dent in you know, the rituals or cultural behaviors of their organization? What would you recommend that they do? And then let's talk about leaders and we'll work our way up the chain of command. My philosophy and approach is I think that everyone's a leader because leadership, if you define leadership as influence, I'm, in, I'm influencing people in my department, in my work group. I can influence up, I can work, influence down, I can influence around. So no matter what your hierarchy is, I can create influence. So my first suggestion is to start talking about it. Press into the fear of having that conversation because I think that if you press into that fear of having the conversation and have the conversation anyway, that's going to start the process. I mean, that's going to be, be able to create some influence in my behavioral creation with companies that speak straight conversation. I always talk about, you know, if you have a pit in the bottom of your stomach, that's a speak straight conversation. If, you, if you're thinking about this conversation and I've got this pit, I know I've got to do it. That same pit can be, you know, hey, I'm going to talk to my boss. I'm going to talk to my, I'm going to talk to his boss or her boss. I want to talk about culture. I want to talk about this culture thing. Start having the conversations. You are a leader. So I don't care where you are in an organization. I don't care if you're the janitor, you are a leader and people are looking at you. You know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you show up with excellence, no matter what you're doing, you're going to have influence. And so my recommendation is, is to have those conversations, create, create the dialogue, start, start, you know, somewhere. Where does that feeling of safety come from? Should that not come from the top down to create that sort of um, safe environment where that open dialogue and freedom of, of speech, if you like, is prevalent and is encouraged and is you know, necessary? I'm not sure if I agree with you entirely that everyone is a leader, but I agree that everyone has the potential to be an influencer or to have influence on any outcome, whether it is the janitor, whether it is the senior management team. Someone can't just come out and go, oh, I want to start talking to you about this. They need to have been acknowledged, given the permission to, to yeah. do that in the first place. How does, does that start from onboarding? Does that start from L&D, ongoing training? From my perspective, I, it, yes. I mean, you have to have some, some safety. It, it, I think that it should come from the top. 
however, I'm, I'm not naive enough to know that that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we have to act in the absence of safety. I'm not advocating, you know, just, you know, cutting your throat and, and, and <laughs> in your, your career throat. Yeah. But, but I think there is some, so, some place where you have to take a chance. That's part of leadership. I think that that's part of actually your growth journey too, in pressing into those uncomfortable um, situations. And we're talking about an organization within which we will have people who are willing to toe that line, who are willing to have a conversation with someone two tiers outside of their management because they're feeling the pebble in their shoe. I think that the ones that feel it are the ones who'd be more willing because they're paying attention in the first place. The people who aren't feeling the pebble in their shoe are your disengaged employees that are oblivious to anything going on around them or they don't have that desire, they don't have that drive, they don't have that achievement factor that is like, I want to be a part of making it successful. You have employees who are just like, I'm coming to work every day at nine and I'm leaving at five and I will do right. my job and then I'm going home. And that's what I'm doing. And I don't answer emails after hours, so on and so forth, right? Not to say that those people aren't great contributors. They are. We need the steady individuals who keep things moving forward. Very important to an organization. They aren't the ones who are going to influence. But we will have others that are there that will be willing to step in. And this suggestion of, if you feel it, start having a conversation. Trust the nugget that is the wisdom of your gut that is saying, you need to talk to somebody and go and have that straight conversation. It comes down to your values as well. I mean, you're talking about pebbling your shoe. You could also say that's, that's your value that's, that's causing you to have that reaction. Mm -hmm. If you believe strongly in something, whether you have that safety net already in place, if you have the conviction behind your values and you want to be aligned with that and you want to actually do more than just talk the talk, you want to walk the walk, you're going to make that conversation. You're going to make that change. You might collectively group together and then feel more confident to have that talk with the with the boss upstairs. I think it comes down to that principle. People need to appreciate and understand why they're there, what they're doing it for, and connect with that rather than just turning up and punching the clock, like Teresa said. Okay, so David, if I'm a manager, if I'm a leader, what am I doing to help make an impact in this area of mindset shift? The first thing is I have to be, I have to personally be growing. You know, the, the first person to lead is the hardest person to lead and that's yourself. I have to, to be doing things to invest in my own growth and my own leadership journey. And if I'm doing that, then I think that I'm going to be embracing fresh content fresh, fresh ideas, listening to podcasts like this, to be able to have new thoughts, new ways of thinking. And then I can interject those in my conversations with the, the people that I work with. So I, I think that's the first thing to, to start with is invest in yourself. I like this because there's two things that I love to talk about <laughs> that I'm also hearing you say. What? Only two? I know. Crazy, crazy talk. Wait, there's three. That's the Steelers, right? Right, 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 right. Also, oh. just making sure, just making sure. You did say we were going to make as many references yes, as possible. I so I was just trying to put the towel down. Bumblebee, black, <laughs> yellow, yeah, I brought my towel. cars. I love all those things. Yeah. Oftentimes what we see happening is businesses process and set up their processes and their structure under IQ. So what do you know? show me that you know it. And this is all of our performance measurables or our measuring ROI as well. 
except people operate under their emotional quotient first before we can get to our intellectual quotient. So it's a little bit backwards, right? Mm, You're yeah. offering the opportunity for businesses to actually operate the way people operate. Let's look at your, your emotional quotient, your humanity first, because yes. this will drive their capacity to engage their IQ. I'm really curious to know that what is the, uh, the look of aha on the other people's faces? Can you describe that? clouds open sun is shining <laughs> like when they like when they really get it when they really get it what happens yeah so it's really interesting so i i have a company that i i work with that the ceo he he made this comment that he said you know david he said i never really thought there was this thing called leadership and now i get it it's it's like i'm starting to see the the connection I'm not even sure I can describe it adequately, but when, when somebody gets it, they're like, they, they just, they get it. Here, let me, let me actually, I'll frame it this way. So they just closed out their, um, their fiscal year and they had the second highest operating profit in company history. He attributes it to their intentional uh, approach to culture and leadership development because they've been very intentional about their, how they've been doing their culture and how they've been creating their culture and bridging the gap, the silos of their, of their company. And he would be the first to admit that they're not there yet, but it's having an impact and it's having an impact in um, the way people are, are working together. So to answer your question, I, I, I'm not even sure I can describe. It's just, it's just that, oh my gosh, it, there, there is something to this. I imagine the, um, the mounting stress that comes with, we can't get over this sort of invisible barrier that's in front of us. And when you present it to it, describe it to them and help them move through it, when they finally experience it, it's like a weight is released from them. They're like, oh, this was the missing thing we couldn't see. You know, it's funny because I'll, I'll, describe, I'll describe it. The first time I crossed the finish line of a, of a triathlon, my very first triathlon, it was kind of like, Oh, I was hooked, man. I was like, that was, that feeling was like euphoria. It's like, oh my gosh, I did it. This is, this is so cool. This, I think the same thing is true in, you know, in culture and leadership. When they start to experience it, it's hard to describe, but when you experience it, you get it. And how do you feel when you see that, when you know that oh. what you've done, what you've heard is, is sunk home? It's, I like, it's like I'm walking on air. I mean, it really is really cool because I know that it's going to impact not only just the company, and that's, that's great, but it's impacting people. And it's impacting people not, in a, not at just at work, but at their homes too and, and in, their, in their personal lives. I just, that really excites me. Like when the Steelers win the Super Bowl. I mean, I know it's been a long time, but absolutely know, point in time <laughs> in history. We just converted a Patriots fan into a Steelers fan. Yes. Woo. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, all right. So look, we'd like to finish the the, uh, the interview with a sort of something called a hashtag not anymore. So we can't not pay attention to people development. It seems silly to even say that out loud, but what's the, the gem of what leaders need to do today to leave those old thoughts and practices behind? Yeah, I, I think that the first thing is they got to, embrace new things and and that requires getting outside your comfort zone every time you get outside your comfort zone you're going to 
come up against something that's called the terror barrier. And it's, it's actually psychologically based because we are programmed to, to react. And so when we do something that we've never done before, we're going to feel those feelings of, of, oh my gosh, I've never done this before. Let's go back into something that's more comfortable. And so we want to, our, our first reaction is to bounce off of that terror barrier and to go back into safety. My recommendation is press into the discomfort, you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable and really get comfortable doing that because you'll be able to embrace new ideas and new ways of being much more easily going forward. There is a thing that humanity has to get over. It's themselves. Yeah, right. <laughs> we have to get over ourselves, right? And it yeah. is that discomfort space that is getting over ourselves. It, once we step into it, there's an expansion of our perspective. And when you're in there, you almost can't go back. When you do go back, because some people do step back, Sure. It is the resistance to this forward movement of humanity. So you either want to be part of the solution or you want to be part of the resistance. Sometimes right. you're asked a question like, which do you want to be part of? Most people will say, I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the resistance, but they don't behave in that way. Knowing that the majority of people want to be part of the solution should be helpful to, as a reminder towards lean into it other people are leaning in come if i can't internally motivate i can externally motivate i don't want to be right. left behind right exactly yeah i totally agree awesome i really appreciate that answer I mean, when we ask that question a lot i speak to a lot of people about that idea you know comfort zone comes up i have to admit that's the first time i've heard the phrase terror barrier Me too. Uh, i can see Teresa's reaction as well i love it i've written it down i'm going to use it so appreciate <laughs> yeah, that and um and um i really want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us david we have things to get doing so that we can all get better. And that's what we're hoping to share by this podcast, which we're hoping people to learn from. If you want to connect with David, um, he's here on LinkedIn, he's on Instagram. Check out his blog at www.davidmcglennon, and that's M-C-G-L-E-N-N-E-N.com slash blog, or email him at info at davidmcglennon.com to start a conversation now. Okay, so... We like to finish the show with a rapid uh, fire Q&A. We've got 10 questions here, the 10 statements. You have two choices. We don't want you to think about it. We want an instant reaction. Are you ready? I think so. Good stuff. Manager or leader? Leader. Number two, active or reactive? Active. Number three, black and white or gray? Gray. Optimistic or realist? Optimistic. Canada or England? Canada. Whoa. <laughs> Typical of Steven. <clears throat> Typical. Um, heart or head? Heart. Empathy or assertiveness? Empathy. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Logical or emotional? Emotional. And innovation or process? Innovation. Perfect. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed you being on the show. Uh, I've learned a lot. I'm sure Teresa has as well. Hopefully everyone listening has enjoyed this. Thank you all for tuning in, for enjoying this podcast. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode of TNT ESQ with myself, Teresa Quinlan, and my co-host, Reese Thomas. It was a pleasure having you stop in and listen. Until next time, Keep challenging the status quo.